Last week was, we talked about the fact that the beginning of a year is time for introspection and retrospection. And it brings us to a place of proper perspective. And one of the things I said last Sunday was, this is a great time of year to deal with your regrets and to deal with forgiveness, either asking for forgiveness or or receiving forgiveness. And uh, I warned you then, and yet you're still here. And some people are watching online who were warned that we were going to talk today about forgiveness. This is one message that I repeat often. And it's one message that uh, with a few exceptions, there's not a lot of deviation in this message. So if you've been here a while, this may sound familiar to you. But I pray that if you've heard this message, I've been here 21 years, so at least 21 times I've, you've heard this message if you've been here that long. But I pray today that you hear something that you didn't hear before. And that's the voice of the Holy Spirit touching your heart. Amen. The liberating power of forgiveness. Uh, it reminds me of a button. Someone saw a button in a tourist shop. It said, to err is human. To forgive is out of the question. <laughs> All too often, that's how we function as human beings. By the way, if you have not interacted with human beings at all, this message is not for you. You, you can you can play games on your iPad or whatever, because I'm not talking to you. But if you have interacted with human beings at all to any level, today's your day. Because to err is human and to forgive is out of the question. We're going to do just a little bit different today. I want to start with the reading of the scripture, Matthew chapter 6. And uh, and we're going to read verses 5 through 15. And uh, if you would stand while I read these, uh, recognizing the sacredness of the scriptures, um, Reading from the English Standard Version, it says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil or the evil one. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. You may be seated. Don Basham was a great Bible teacher and a great author, and he said once, if I only had one message, if they told me that I was Barney Fife and I had one bullet. He didn't say that. I said that. If I only had one message to deliver, 
it would be a message on forgiveness. Because this is so important to the human race, and especially those of us who are walking with Christ as human beings. Because things come into our life, uh, hiccups in relationships, problems, hurts, all of these things. And so I always begin this message with these questions. And you, you're the only one who can answer this, by the way. Are there hindrances to you gaining victory in Christ? And you can't seem to identify what those are. Are there things, or do you feel like you just can't quite get to that place of gaining and grasping the victory in Christ? Is it possible for us to embrace all the kingdom qualities and principles outlined in Scripture and somehow be prevented from fully touching them? You see, you see the principles, you see the scripture, you see the value, and yet there's just something keeping you from, from touching. Is it possible that you could be trapped inside what Bob Mumford calls an invisible shield? And that shield keeps you from experiencing full freedom in the Lord. Is it possible to be inside this, for lack of a better term, and we'll come back to this term, a prison? You can, the invisible shield, you can see all the things. We, my wife and I watch this show called Under the Dome. Anybody watch that? Well, y'all missing out on some, of course we love sci-fi, so. But these people lived in this dome, and they could see all outside the dome, but they couldn't get there. Because they they were in and wasn't quite invisible, but they were in a clear shield. Is it possible? Here's the real question. Is it possible to remove that invisible shield? Is it possible? Scripture says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. The same author writes to the church of Colossae, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Before we go any further, we have to state, here lies the standard of forgiveness. What is the standard that we should use in issuing forgiveness to someone. It's very easy. Just as Christ forgave us. To the degree that Christ forgave you, you must forgive others. If Christ has not forgiven you, then you are not, there's no need for you to forgive others. But once again, I'm speaking foolishness and hyperbole. To the degree that Christ has taken our sin and forgiven our sin and God has said, I, I will remember it no more. I, as far as the east is to the west, to that degree, we must forgive one another. If we are going to withhold forgiveness, we have to ask ourselves the question, is there anywhere that Jesus has withheld forgiveness from us? Hmm. 
thought this was going to be a feel-good message, didn't you? The definition that we use for forgiveness is really a word, and in the verb of this word, I'm not going to get into it what it is, although I will say that in the parts of the Scripture and the ones I just read, it's, the, it's charis, grace. But here it's another word, and it's to send away. To send away, to... Uh, Remember the image of the scapegoat when they would lay hands on the goat and lead them out away from the city in demonstrating the removal of sins and sending the sins away. That's the verb. The noun is a dismissal or a release from a debt. Chuck Colson tells the story about a Mrs. Washington who during a graduation ceremony for inmates completing a prison fellowship program swept to the stage to wrap her arms around a graduating inmate, declaring, this young man is my adopted son. Everyone had tears in their eyes, for they knew that this young man was behind bars for the murder of Mrs. Washington's daughter. Now that is a dismissal of a debt. I've heard, you you have too, I've heard myriads of stories just like that. Where the people who were victims and people who had lost people, God had done something in their heart for that person and uh, and, and they were joined to them. I think of Jim Elliott who went with some others overseas and they were almost immediately killed as missionaries. And today... I, I'm going to get it wrong, but I'm going to get it close. Today, the son or grandson of Jim Elliott travels with the man who killed his father or grandfather in mission work, preaching the gospel. Dismissal. The Amplified Bible gives us Mark eleven twenty five this way, and whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him. And here's what, why I use the Amplified and let it drop. Leave it. Let it go. In order that your Father who is in heaven may also forgive you your own failings and shortcomings and let them drop. Whatever you, whatever you recognize this morning that you have an issue with someone, and you, it's just, you know, we say in, in the deep south, we got something stuck in our craw. Have to look that one up. Not sure what dictionary you're going to find that in, but, but whatever that is, let it drop. In other words, let it drop to the ground. Leave it alone. So we make observations concerning forgiveness. And I want to give you this very first one, and this is so important, that forgiveness is an act of our will and not the result of emotion or feeling. Often, you're not going to feel like forgiving someone. There's a great story, Corey Ten Boom, which we will quote again later. Corey Ten Boom says, one outstanding example of forgiveness occurred when Corey Ten Boom met a former Nazi officer who had abused her and her sister during imprisonment, assisting in the death of other prisoners. 
He told her he had become a Christian. That's the last thing you want to hear, isn't it? And proceeded to ask Corey to forgive him. Okay. He abused her, abused her sister. God knows what that means. He assisted in the death of other prisoners. But here he is, having become a Christian, asking her to forgive him. As he reached out his hand towards her, Corey resisted. Then, in obedience to God, as she extended her hand towards him, she felt the surge of the Holy Spirit pour through her in a supernatural act of forgiveness. You can't wait till you feel like forgiving somebody. You can't wait till then. Forgiveness is not just an act of our will. It's an exercise in obedience. We forgive because we hear our Father tell us. We forgive. I just read you the verses. We are instructed in the Scripture to forgive one another. You forgive because God says so. Imagine a novel idea. Why would you do that? Because God said. You know, what a, what a great, what a great idea. Obedience. Here's another observation about forgiveness. Forgiveness is not dependent on evidence. They will not do it again. See, we want to forgive, but we don't make sure I'll forgive you if you not, you promise you're not going to do that again. Well, you can't, that's not forgiveness. We'll come back to that, but that's not forgiveness. And you don't forgive because, let me say it this way. When you forgive them, it's not because they're right. Because they really did wrong you. It's not dependent on evidence they won't do it again. It's just a release. It's just a dismissal. And your forgiving them is not a statement that they were right. Because as you have to deal with God they have to deal with God, especially in the body of Christ. Another thing about forgiveness is forgiveness is a promise. It's a promise you make to someone. Forgiveness says, I will not hold this against you in the future. Therefore, I release you from this debt. I know there's a lot of whatabouts floating around in your head right now. Just hang on. Because all of us, when we hear, we got a lot of whatabouts. What about this? And what about that? What about him? And whatabouts? So we we have to ask ourselves this question, why we must forgive? And the operative word there is must. Saints, this is not an option. This is not if you feel like it. Or this is not if you you feel lead. Well, I wish we had that piece of lead up here we used to have. Let you feel some lead. It's a must, and, I, and I'm going to come back to the reasons why. But, for, you know, we've stated this already, but why must we forgive? Because God forgave us, and he still forgives us. Again, if you haven't sinned since you, since you got saved, then this message doesn't apply to you. But there's a reason there's a First John. It says, if we sin, if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. 
To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness. Why? We have rebelled against him. And we have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God. Thank God that in the day and in the time that we have rebelled against God and we have not obeyed the voice of God, thank God that mercy and forgiveness belong to him. So when we exercise forgiveness, we're, we're being like God. It's exactly what he did. It's always interesting to me that after Jesus instructs his disciples, remember, and Luke tells us that they ask him, teach us how to pray. And then he goes into what we commonly call the Lord's Prayer. It's interesting that when he completes what we, we consider the content of that prayer, that he immediately returns to one topic that he dealt with in that prayer. You, you know, me, I'd have, I'd have returned to the kingdom of God. When I got done, I said, now here's what the kingdom is about. And here's what we need. But Jesus didn't do that. He immediately returned to, for if you forgive. It was so important. And he made this statement, you know, if you forgive, God will forgive you. But if you won't forgive, God won't forgive your trespasses. I don't think that has anything to do with whether or not we're going to heaven. I think it has whether or not we ruin and, and uh, hinder our relationship with God. I say it this way. We cannot fully enjoy the fruits and victory of our salvation without ministering that same salvation to others. You, you can't enjoy it if you're not going to give it to somebody else. What God has given you, if you harbor it and yet you don't pass it on, you can't really enjoy the benefits of that. In, in Matthew 18, we're not going to read that entire passage. I'm just putting it on the screen for those of you who are note takers. But, uh, Peter's, Peter came up to Jesus and he said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? And a lot of us, we have that question. How many times I got to deal with this? Fill in the blank. As many as seven. Now Peter thought, When he said as many as seven, you know what he was thinking? Boy, Jesus is going to be proud of me. Because I offered to forgive seven times. It would be totally unreasonable for Jesus to or anybody to expect me to forgive eight times. How many? Seven times? Well, Jesus is the best bubble buster I've ever met. He said, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times or 70 times seven, or for those of you who are not math majors, 490 times. How many of you know he wasn't saying when you get to 491, you don't have to forgive anymore? A, it's hyperbole. B, if you were to forgive somebody 490 times, you wouldn't need any help. Doing it one more time. In other words, ad infinitum. He, then he tells a story about a, a guy who, a man owes him 10,000 talents. Now, in today's economy, oh, I didn't start my clock. Boy, y'all are in trouble. <laughs> of course, I know where we're eating today. He tells a story about a guy 
who is in jail because he owes somebody the equivalent in today's money, the equivalent of six, and I'm saying billion, billion dollars, the equivalent. Six billion dollars. And he says, okay, I'm going to forgive your debt. Sit down and it's, it's canceled. Same guy goes out and finds somebody who owes him some money, the equivalent of, in our, in today's money, the equivalent of $12,000. Six billion, 12,000. And he says, you need to pay your debt. And he starts to choke the guy. You need to pay me what you owe me. Now this is the same guy who's just been forgiven six billion dollars. Same guy. Well, some of the people standing around said, well, that's not right as much as he just got. So he went and told the master. Master called him in and said, you know, I, I forgave you your debt, but you wasn't willing to forgive him his debt. And here's what it says. And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay his debt. In most of your versions there, the word jailers will be torturers. And I don't want to get too spooky here, but I can tell you that if you will not forgive others their debts, you will experience some measure of torture. You ever met someone and say, no, that right there is a tortured soul. Quite often, it's because they're living inside that invisible shield. We issue that which God has already issued us. And when, like the first servant, when we refuse to issue forgiveness, we are put into prison, the invisible shield. We find ourselves locked away. Unforgiveness, if we hold unforgiveness in our heart, it blocks the grace of God. Now, I didn't say it disabled God. What I said was it blocks the grace of God because we are not able to receive the grace of God because we're in such a predicament that it can't make it into our heart. God is offering all the grace he ever did before. But when I refuse to forgive you, I am not capable of receiving that grace that he wants to give me. And I don't know who come up with this. It doesn't matter. Uh, you've heard this. If you've been around here very long, you've heard this. But this is the one that I really want you to hear. Holding unforgiveness is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. So often we we do that. We, we just, we're, we're so mad, we're so angry, and it's not right. And, and we're holding this unforgiveness and we're, we have drank the poison and we're expecting the other person to die. It doesn't happen. Understand that for you to hold on to your unforgiveness is just like you drank strychnine, poison. It doesn't work. Three basic things that keep us from forgiving. Now, when I say that, remember, this is not all the things. This is just three basic things that I've identified and others down. Th- I've been carrying this message around with me for 35 or 40 years at least. I don't even know where I got some of this stuff. And so there are three basic 
things that keep us from forgiving. Number one, the struggle, struggle for existence. Number two, the desire for revenge. And number three, a cry for justice. The struggle for existence. When Adam fell in the garden and thorns came into the garden, we all, in that moment, we all started looking out for number one. We all started being self-referential. And we started thinking about ourselves, protecting ourselves, making ourselves look good, propping our image up. One of the best pieces of advice one of my pastors gave me one time is don't try to make yourself look good to God. He knows better. Because we do. When we have a struggle for existence, we take an adversarial position. And we're always ready to strike back. We're always, our gun is always cocked and ready to go. If someone seems to have transgressed our ground or someone seems to have done something towards us, we are always ready to pull the trigger, strike back. And the need for self-justification is a sign we feel we must struggle to maintain. We feel like we have to struggle to maintain our existence, that God's not big enough for our existence. But because, because we're struggling, it's because we haven't forgiven. That attitude says this. I can't let anybody have the upper hand on me. You've said that because I've said that just this morning. No, I'm not. Uh, uh, Not only do you say I can't let anybody have the upper hand on me, we say I've always got to be right. And it's important that I'm right. And if you try to say I'm wrong, then we got a problem because I'm struggling for my own existence instead of understanding our existence. This is God. Okay, let's move along. Well, I've still got plenty of time on my phone. Y'all doing okay? <laughs> a second one, desire for revenge. This is a strong one. Proverbs says this. You probably, probably wish I didn't read you these two verses, but do not rejoice when your enemy falls. Uh Uh-oh. And do not let your heart be glad when he or she stumbles. Now look how God deals with this. If If you're happy when your enemy falls and your heart's glad when they stumble, what in the world would God do about that? He said, or the Lord will see it and he'll be displeased, not with him, with you. And turn his anger Away from him. Why? You've already issued wrath. Why would God try to interrupt? You can't let revenge control you. It will eat you up from the inside out. When we rejoice in the calamity of someone we feel has wronged us, 
We're kept within the invisible shield. We're trapped. We must renounce what someone has labeled damaged joy. To be able to forgive. Damaged joy is just what we've been talking about. When you have joy in someone else's damage. Because they may have slighted you. Or wronged you. Or ignored you. Or said something about you. Or did not say anything to you. Whatever the case may be. And you hear that they had a flat tire when they left the church parking lot. And you went, "Mm mm-hmm. Got what they deserved, didn't they? Aren't you happy that we don't get what we deserve? I don't want I don't want what I deserve. The third thing is the cry for justice. This is really this really keeps us from forgiving. I can't forgive because I have got to see justice done. <laughs> like we're in control of that. I can't forgive them because I don't they I cannot see them get away with it. Yeah, it gets quiet. You know why it gets quiet? Because every one of us have said that. Man, I can't, I can't stand the idea that they, they can get away with that, that, uh, that they're not going to be punished. Forgiveness is agreeing to get out of the way and leave the justice to the issuer of justice. If you're going to try to issue justice to someone, then you got in God's way. He said, okay, you, you, you want to do it? I'll do it. Let me just tell you, God's, here's one of the reasons we're kind of like Jonah. One of the reasons we don't want to, uh, forgive is because we know God and God, God's punishment, God's judgment is redemptive. We don't want them to be redeemed. Jonah didn't want Nineveh to be redeemed. He didn't want, he said, God, if I go preach to them, they're going to repent and you're going to forgive their sins. And don't we do that with people that we need to issue or receive or issue forgiveness? Don't we do the same thing? Because we can't, if I'm afraid that if I release them from that debt to me, they're going to get away with something. Let me tell you something. Hezekiah 3 1. Be sure your sins will find you out. Amen. Except there is no book of Hezekiah. But the truth is still there. Your sins will find you out. You will deal with God Amen. because of your sin. And so it will everyone else deal with God. So, practical guidelines. For forgiveness. Top of the list. Don't put people on pedestals. Don't make them super people. So often we, in whatever situation, we put people up here on a pedestal and expect them to live to a certain uh, level that they, they're not capable. It, it grieves me when I hear people say, well, I went to that church over there and that pastor did this and that pastor did that and, and they had real problems there and the pastor had to resign because he did this and he did that. So I'm never going to church again. Y'all heard people like, some of you might have said that. Because we, we're hurt. Someone recently said, no, I'm not doing that church thing again. I've had enough of that. I saw this and I saw that. 
Well, thank, you know, it's sad that, that it's true. It's sad that we have failure in the church. It's sad that we have pastors who have failure in the church. But I want to remind you that every pastor who stood up this morning or any other day of the week and preached the gospel is made of clay. Human beings. You've heard this from me before, but you cannot be disillusioned unless you first have an illusion. Don't don't buy into this illusion of how things are, of how things should be, because if you do, then you're you're set up for being disillusioned. Forgive people. Hold on to your seats, okay? Forgive people, but don't try to change them. Now, for, I'm going to say it again, then I'm going to add an addendum. Forgive people, but don't try to change them. I'm going to release you from this debt. Now, here's what you need to do next. There may be a time for that, but that's not the time. In some cases, listen, listen carefully, those of you online, listen. in some cases, you shouldn't continue to be around them. When I hear of a man laying his hand on a woman, and I mean, I don't mean husband, wife, you know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about in an abusive way. I have two responses. One, I'm glad I wasn't there because I'd be in jail. Because I'd beat him to a pulp. Two, I say to the woman, get out of that house and don't go back in there. But what happens is that woman gets out of that house what she can't do is hold on to that poison. She's got to be able to release the debt but get out of the mess. I guess it could happen that women beat up the men too. I think I've heard of that. Can't fathom that. Although, well. Now here's the part that's the hardest. For us. Forgive. Unconditionally. God did not forgive your sins by saying this. I will forgive your sins if. I will forgive your sins if you will do this. If you behave in certain way. If you continue to behave. I will forgive your sins until you mess up again. And then you're going to have to get forgiven again. Well, it's true. But your salvation didn't go anywhere. And we say to people, I will forgive you if you will stop doing that. You can't do that. Because that's not forgiveness. That's deal making. We're not making deals. We're setting people free. Here's the, here's the thing, and I think you've picked up on this already. We're setting people free, but we're setting them free, but we're also setting us free. Forgive without condition. And then overlook the small things. Now, this has a lot to do with married couples, but it deals with everybody. But, you know, the longer you're married, my wife and I have been, you know, next October will be 50 years. Well, we've learned somewhere along the way, some things just don't matter. It's not worth the energy to argue over 
whether the toilet lid is up or not. I keep staying after her, but she won't do it. (laughs) So it's just not worth it. Overlook the little things. Lord, help me. After you forgive someone, after forgiveness, watch this. Don't bind them to their past mistakes. Don't tie a noose around their neck and tie that to their mistakes. And for the rest of your life, whether you're married to them or you're just good friends with them, something happened. Yeah, you remember when you did that? Now, if you have really let that debt go, you're not going to keep revisiting that situation. Once again, Corey Ten Boom in her book, Tramp for the Lord. She writes quite a bit. It's quite a bit to read, but I'm not going to do that. And you said, hallelujah. But I'm going to read you a little bit. Because I can't say it better than she said it. How many of you know who Corey Ten Boom is? Okay, I thought most of you did. If you don't, get a hold of The Tramp for the Lord or The Hiding Place or any of her books. From Anyway, you will be blessed. She talked about forgiveness and being able to forgive people and how God had dealt with her. And then she says this, He, God, still had more to teach me, however, even from this single episode. Many years later, after I had passed my 80th birthday... An American friend came to visit me in Holland, which was her native land. As we sat in my little apartment in Bern, he asked me about these people from long ago who had taken advantage of me. Now, we don't know exactly what they did to her, except that it was hurtful and it was injurious to her. It is nothing, I said a little smugly. It is all forgiven. By you, yes. He said, but what about them? Have they accepted your forgiveness? They say there's nothing to forgive. You hear the attitude there. They deny it ever happened. No matter what they say, though, I can prove they're wrong. I went eagerly to my desk. See, I have it in black and white. I saved all their letters. And I can show you where, and her friend interrupted her and said, Corey. My friend slipped his armor through mine and gently closed the drawer. Aren't you the one whose sins are at the bottom of the sea? Yet are the sins of your friends etched in black and white? For an astonishing moment, I could not find my voice. Lord Jesus, I whispered at last, who takes all my sins away, forgives me, forgive me for preserving all these years the evidence, the evidence against others. Give me grace to burn all the blacks and whites as a sweet smelling sacrifice to your glory. She continues, I did not go to sleep that night until I had gone through my desk, pulled out those letters, curling now with age, and fed them all into my little coal-burning grate. As the flames leaped and glowed, so did my heart. Forgive us our trespasses, Jesus taught us to pray, 
as we forgive those who trespass against us. In the ashes of those letters, I was seeing yet another facet of his mercy. Forgiveness is the key which unlocks the door of resentment and the handcuffs of hatred. It breaks the chains of bitterness and the shackles of selfishness. The forgiveness of Jesus not only takes away our sins, but makes them as if they had never been. So you don't bind people. Don't tie people to what they did before. Someone, it might have been Don Basham, described a bag of hurts, slights, and offenses that we carry around off of our belt. Everywhere we go, we got this little invisible bag, and it's full of all the hurts and all the offenses and all the injuries that's happened to us. And, we'd carry, and we're, we carry it everywhere we go. I guess we're ready to pull it out and say, remember this? Now, here's another one. When asking for forgiveness, don't follow with an excuse. I'd like you to forgive me for what I did, but the reason I did what I did, just stop. Just stop. You can deal with reasons later, but when you're asking for forgiveness, don't make excuses. Don't try to give reasons. But, you know, if you hadn't been such a numbskull, I wouldn't have needed to do that. That's not forgiveness. Again, that's deal-making. That's actually self-justification. Don't follow with an excuse. You got to let it go. You got to let it drop. You got to leave it. Or it's not forgiveness. Worship team. I can't do a message on forgiveness without giving you an opportunity to respond. There's probably any number of ways you could respond to this message. And as I said when I started, I pray that you have heard something you never heard before by the voice of the Holy Spirit. I pray that you saw something that ministered to you, and you need to respond in any kind of way. You need to confess to someone. You need to be prayed for. Uh, you need to come kneel at the, the steps which have now become the altar. Whatever be the case... We ask ourselves the question, who must we forgive? Who, who are we going to forgive? Well, I mean, the easy answer is to say anybody who's done you wrong or you feel like done you wrong. I've got a short list, and it sure is not exhaustive. Well, at the top of the list is spouse. And then, you know, obviously where we live today, the ex, ex-spouse. There's a lot of times that people have come out of marriages, and there's bitterness, and there's resentment and there's unforgiveness and there's and it's still being held on to I, I know people i talk to people all the time that have bitterness and resentment towards their father or their mother or both you may be that may be you or your brother or your sister and that's natural and spiritual someone in your life a sibling you, you're hold, you got something. There, you know it's there. I, I don't have to tell you what it looks like. You know it's there. I mentioned it earlier, but a pastor or a pastor's wife. My, my wife is on one of these, uh, two or three of these threads on Facebook for pastor's wives. 
and some of them, I don't know, I don't know what they all are, but I can tell you this, the sum total of those are, it's a mess. <laughs> it's just a mess. You may have had an experience in your past with a pastor or a pastor's wife or an elder or a deacon, and you still you got something rumbling around inside of you, and you say, I realize now why I can't get out of this invisible shield. I'm still holding on to that. Could be a boss or an employer, and that's a hard one because sometimes you got to keep working for the boss, but you got to be able to let go of the debt. Sometimes it's a teacher that we had or have, someone that we have developed resentment toward them or we when we think of that we think of, oh yeah I remember what they did to me well again the longer we hold on to that the more we're inside that invisible shield sometimes saints it's a friend sometimes we have someone we call our friend and yet watch what david said for it is not an enemy who taunts me then i could bear it It's not an adversary who deals insolently with me. Then I could hide from him. But it's you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. Sometimes we got people that are closest to us. And we have developed some kind of a something. And then finally... And that is that we we must, you must forgive yourself. Because if you cannot forgive yourself for, for all of the dumb things that you've done, then you're disagreeing with God because God has forgiven you. Forgiving yourself is you don't continue to, to function as if God has not forgiven you. You function as if God has. And you recognize that you were a bonehead. But God's helped you to move on. And you got to let that go. Can't hold on to it. There's a Spanish story of a father and son who had become estranged. The son ran away and the father set off to find him. He searched for months to no avail. Finally, in a last desperate effort to find him, the father put an ad in a Madrid newspaper. The ad read, Dear Paco, meet me in front of this newspaper office at noon on Saturday. All is forgiven. I love you, your father. On Saturday... 800 Pacos showed up. Why were they there? They were looking for forgiveness and love from their fathers. I mean, that just demonstrates the need of the human race. Saints, let's not be shackled by issues and unforgiveness, bitterness and resentment. Let's not allow these things to hinder our Christian walk in life. Let's not allow them to keep us from touching all the things we see in the Scripture and by the Holy Spirit. But let's be free of these things.
Now, there's a lot you can talk about how to deal with this, who to go talk to, who not. I'm not even dealing with that today. But you got to be free. As the worship team plays and sings, you respond to however God has dealt with you and whatever you think you need. Some of you need to make a, a move, physical move, to release something in you and to say to God, I want to be done with this. Okay? Let's stand together and join with the worship team. Oh, 